University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. We'll take a look at the book of Joshua, chapter 3, verse 1. We are in midway through our 2020 vision series, which is syncing up with our strategic growth initiative, in which we are discerning together how God might lead us to expand our capacity to fulfill our vision as a faith community. Over the last several months, we have held multiple sessions uh, focusing on 12 specific initiatives. And the most significant portion of these initiatives focuses on age-specific recruiting. This is an opportunity for us to break down each generation represented within our church and within the Baton Rouge community, thinking critically about how we might more effectively connect with these generations in real and authentic ways. As churches think critically about connecting with each generation, experiencing growth within these age groups, oftentimes frustration and miscommunication and conflict arise. And it's only natural when people from different eras seeing the world contrarily blend together to make a community. Who would have thought that people from Uh, Different walks of life with different opinions, with different perspectives, with different beliefs, with different convictions would find it challenging to become one, to unify under such things. As great George Orwell put it, each generation imagines itself to be more intelligent than the one that came before it and wiser than the one that will come after it. For this, we turn to Joshua chapter 3 verse 1. Now, for the context of our passage... You see, the people have exited out of Egypt. They have proceeded to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. If Moses had simply asked the women of the tribe for directions, they would have been fine. But in typical male fashion, they didn't. So they wandered for 40 years. And then we learn that Moses isn't entering into the promised land. Instead, Joshua rises up to lead the people. This is the same Joshua with Caleb who were part of that minority report that went and spies to the promised land, who came back despite what the majority had said, they believed that God was going to give them the land. This is a pivotal moment in Israel's history. This is a moment of transition. Not only are you seeing this drastic leadership change, but you're literally seeing a generation die away in the promised land and the new generation rising up to fulfill God's promise to the people. And as they camp on one side of the River Jordan, this body of water is an even greater metaphor of what stands between them and the promised land. Dramatic change. And as a faith community, we can resonate exactly where the Hebrew people find themselves. We are a faith community that has experienced a lot of twists and turns over the last few decades. We are a faith community, much like many others, who are experiencing the uncertain changes of the culture and how it relates to the church and how the church relates to its neighbors. And we are experiencing diverse congregation of a variety of ages and experiences and stories and expectations and hopes. We are experiencing the growing pains of what it looks like to become an intergenerational church. And we have been moving together to see where the Spirit of God would lead us 
So we too stand at a river's edge of something new. And it says in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1, Early in the morning, Joshua and all Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your position and to follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. And keep a distance, about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things through you. So this generation of Hebrew people learned from the mistakes of those who came before them. The generation that caused them to wander for 40 years in the wilderness were persistently breaking into moments of unfaithfulness to God, worshiping other false gods, not trusting in God's leadership. And this is evident in this moment that these people are ready to follow where God is leading. And this is overwhelmingly uh, evident in the way that they treat the ark. Now, for those that aren't familiar, the ark of the covenant, yes, the thing from Indiana Jones, In the Temple of Doom, just for context, you know, you have to speak to all generations here. This is this holy relic, and it represented the the spiritual and visible symbol of God's presence among the people. And it's a visible and physical metaphor and spiritual illustration of God's leadership. So in this moment, Joshua tells the people to look out for the ark, for that is where God is leading us. But he also tells them to consecrate themselves to prepare themselves emotionally and spiritually for this moment. And this teaches us a very important lesson about being an intergenerational faith community. Spiritual formation is essential for following God's leadership. This is God we're leading. This isn't ourselves that we're leading. This is God. And preparing our hearts and souls to follow God's leadership is essential as an intergenerational faith community. Now, in the waning weeks of 2019, uh, online battle ensued between baby boomers and millennials. You probably remember it as the OK Boomer and OK Millennials uh, fiasco. Now, it got really old when you started to have politicians quoting this. By that time, it's not hip and cool anymore when politicians are using it in speeches. But this whole thing was an attack against two generations that were using um, prescriptive terminology about each other in the worst possible senses. So boomers would scoff at millennials as they expect a participation trophy in anything, despite the fact that this was the generation that raised us to get an award and trophy for every single thing that we did. Millennials would say that boomers are out of touch. Uh, Millennials are killing a once stable industry and now spending less money and only eating avocado toast for breakfast. Boomers have mortgaged our future in exchange for hoarding wealth for themselves. Or millennials would rather complain about student debt than buckle down and get a job. You see, the boomer versus millennial debate is, is nothing new. Generations attack each other. As one person put it, the knowledge of one generation is ignorance for the next. You see, generational gaps is nothing new. The young always look at the older with frustration and disillusion. The older always look at the younger with confusion and annoyance. And this is part of the tension in the background of our text in Joshua. The older generation not inheriting the promised land while the younger generation will soon cross over the Jordan. And the church is no exception. 
Most churches fit into one of two categories. Either they are a church mostly composed of young people, or secondly, a church mostly composed of older people. You see, generational gaps occur because the context and circumstances that influence each age group. One generation's communication style might be with texts and tweets and DMs, while another generation communicates through phone calls and through emails. The vernacular is different because of how we talk and the meaning we have behind the words we use. Expectations are different based on which generation you come from, not to mention the way that you dress, the music you do and do not listen to, the cultural heroes you have, the bend towards progress, the views you have of government, of institutions, and the past. You see, to gain a better understanding of why each generational gap frustrates our culture it's important to understand the context behind each of those things. So in order to do that, we have to understand each generation. Where, where's my greatest generation in here? My, my silence and traditionalist. Maybe they don't want to raise their hands. Born between 1900 and 1944, the greatest generation, values were shaped by the events such as World War II, the Great Depression, and the boom years after the war. This is a generation that has been attributed with dedication, sacrifice, discipline, patriotism, and loyalty. They are stabilizers, they're hard workers, they're ethical, they respect authority, and they're thorough in their work. Where are my baby boomers in the group? Can we get some baby boomers to raise your hand, okay? Between 1945 and 1964, baby boomers' values were shaped by rock and roll and Elvis and the Beatles. I heard a little cat call in there when I said the name Elvis, Woodstock, miniskirts, Vietnam, the civil rights movement, and the space race. This is the first two-income household generation, the first TV generation, the first divorce generation, the first tolerant generation. This generation has been attributed with anti-war, anti-government, equal rights, optimism, trusting no one over the age of 30, and desire to make a difference. They are ambitious, they're competent, they challenge authority, and they're willing to take risks. All right, where are my Generation X in here? Between 1965 and 1975, 1979, Generation X values were shaped by MTV and heavy metal and punk and grunge and hip-hop music. This is the generation of Nirvana and YouTube and Madonna and Torn Jeans and Friends and Beverly Hills 90210 and the personal computer. This is a generation that's been attributed with diversity and higher education, independence, pragmatism, and self-reliance. They are adaptable, cynical, confident, self-sufficient, and skeptical of institutions. Where are my millennials? All right. Between 1980, oh, sorry, 1980 and 2000, millennials' values were shaped by the technology boom, by mobile phones, by the dot-com race, by social media, by Google, by 9-11. This is a generation that has been attributed with achievement and confidence and genuine diversity and tolerance and connection and realism. They focus on change. They're open to new ideas. They're optimists. They're tech-savvy. They're responsible seekers. They want to make a difference now. They're surfers of a fast-paced world. Now, finally, where is my Generation Z? Hanging out in the front row. <laughs> Born between 2001 and today, Generation Z values were shaped by the economic downturn, by global warming, by mobile devices, by social media, and by YouTube. 
This is a generation attributed with uniqueness and mobility and unidentified identity and realism and cause-oriented. They are natural entrepreneurs, they're multitaskers, they're technology-centric, they're hyper-connected, and they're experienced and their experience is in consumerism. You see, it might be silly for us to highlight each generation, but what I want us to see is that each generation is distinctly shaped by the circumstances that birth them. And the Hebrew people are facing this generational change as they're ready to embark into the promised land. And one generation passed during the wilderness wandering. Now another has taken its place. And throughout this community, there are a variety of journeys Some who've experienced the slavery of Egypt, others who were birthed during the Exodus, and everywhere in between. You see, no matter their journey, each generation stands on the bank of the Jordan. They brought value to their Hebrew community. To the Hebrew people, they had a choice to either let generational friction and gaps divide them, or to embrace and value each generation and what they brought to their community. You see, if we want to be a healthy, intergenerational faith community, then we must recognize each generation and the value that they distinctly bring to our faith community. The diversity of experience and perspectives and vernaculars and influence and attributes and characteristics. Each generation brings a unique voice and experience and perspective and story. Each generation contributes to the health of an intergenerational faith community. When I was a kid, I loved to ride around with my papa in the car, and we'd have all kinds of conversations. Now, most likely, it was me talking at nauseam and him having to listen to it. And one particular time that comes to mind, he told me that if I look out the car and can find a bear on the side of the road, he would pay me $5. Y'all, I kid you not, in less than 10 minutes, I saw a bear on the side of the road. <laughs> But the trick worked because my face was planted against the glass, stopping talking and actually looking out the window to find this bear. Now, the one thing I didn't enjoy about riding around the car with my papa is he always listened to talk radio. And as a child of any age, is there anything more boring and nonsensical than talk radio? And I begged and I pleaded with him to turn it off, which he'd always ask me why. And I would always respond, well, it's stupid. (laughs) Is there anything better than the argument of incredulity? You see, this is what happens within a faith community when generational gaps begin to break down at the point that we begin to assume that we know and understand each other. This brings us to the idea that millennials need a participatory trophy for everything and that boomers have an answer for everything is just get a job. This is why it's so easy to just have a church of young people or just have a church that makes up of older people. Instead, a healthy intergenerational faith community moves beyond the assumptions by choosing to actually get to know each other and what makes each other unique. This means moving beyond the negative stereotypes and beginning to understand what makes each particular generation unique. This means overcoming the frustrations of differences by understanding and working through these differences. Take, for example, the generational difference of work. You see, typically the greatest generation sees work as a responsibility. The baby boomer generation as a place. The Gen Xers as a means to an end and the millennials as a vehicle to many forms of fulfillment. 
Or take, for example, the gener- generational difference of technology. Generally, the greatest generation sees technology as a hindrance, the baby boomer as an enhancer, the Gen Xer as a balancer, and the millennial as an amplifier. You see, people are all too easy to get frustrated and disappointed and disillusioned and dismissive of the ideas and perspectives that are different than their own. And yet, healthy intergenerational churches not only embrace the unique values that each generation brings, but they actually take the time to listen and to better understand what makes each generation exceptional. And the best way for healthy intergenerational faith communities to understand and value each of these differences is to put a premium on spending time together. We see this with the Hebrew community as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years together. Now, they probably didn't want to do that for 40 years, but they spent a lot of time together. You see, in investing time together, we develop a sense of mutual respect and trust and love. This opens our hearts and our minds to learn from one another. Distrust and assumptions are purged from a faith community when we spend authentic quality time together. And this cannot be accomplished in one hour time slot on Sunday morning. This is why we put a premium on things like Sunday coffee and community time a 30-minute time slot to encounter people who are not in your spiritual formation group or not your particular ministry of the church that we can blend together to meet new people. This is why we put a premium on our church-wide gatherings each month, a space designed to draw all ages together for for conversations and intentional activities and strengthening of multi-generational community. This is why we put a premium on connect groups, a a space to gather all ages around common interests, whether your common interests be playing Monopoly and walking around on stilts at the same time or, or learning how to play disc golf. This is why we're creating a new mentor partnership called the Barnabas Project in which older members are connected with younger members for a relationship of care and encouragement. You see, back to our scripture, a curious thing happened when this multi-generational community centered their hearts on God and followed God's leadership as they gathered on the banks of the river. The priest stepped into the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and it says in an instant the waters of the Jordan drew back. This wasn't a, a, a shallow time or a shallow tributary, but this was flood stage waters of the harvest. And just like the Red Sea 40 years before, God drew back the waters in a heap and the people stepped out in faith towards the promised land. The priest stood in the middle of the river as a symbolic presence of God and the people passed one by one till they got to the other side. And while they were passing, God told Joshua to pick up 12 stones from the middle of the riverbed. You see, this is a fascinating thing that happens in the story of Joshua. For hundreds of years, people had suffered from the hands of the Egyptian masters. For 40 years, they had wandered in the wilderness because of their unfaithfulness to a faithful God. Yet during this whole time, God was forming and giving them a new vision of what was to come. But now, now was the time to actually trust in God's leadership and engage where God was leading. God is leading you to this, Joshua essentially said. Now go out into the water, see what God is doing, live into the promises that God has made. And they did. The waters drew back and they entered into the promised land. God had equipped them for such a time as this, for such a task as this, for such a dream as this. 
God has given this faith community a beautiful dream of what the church can be together within Baton Rouge. God has fostered a deep connection between the relationship forged through this church community. God has fostered a deep connection within the heart of this community for the heart of Baton Rouge. But really what frames the beauty and vitality of this intergenerational faith community is the conclusion of our text. At the end of chapter 4, verse 19, it says this, On the tenth day of the first month, the people went from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set out at Gilgal the twelve stones that they had taken from the river Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when it dried up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. We think of monuments. We think of the Taj Mahal. It was a shrine built to one man's wife. Stonehenge was probably the work of an ancient alien race. The Acropolis of Athens, a place of political and philosophical commerce and faith. We think of the Statue of Liberty, the Eiffel Tower, the Sphinx, Machu Picchu, Big Ben, the Great Wall of China. See, each of these structures were erected to honor someone or to commemorate one of the great civilizations of the world. The visage of their story, of their great deeds for good or for ill. It helps them remember. It tells us a story. I love the symbolism of stones in this story. God doesn't want them to just pick up a a couple random stones. God asked them to pick up 12 stones from the middle of the river. 12 for each of the tribes of Israel. Joshua takes these stones, he stacks them as a monument to God. He gathers the people all around the stones and gives the best post-game speech of all time. These stones are here for you and for your children and your children's children, for when they see them, they will ask you, what do these stones mean? Now you have the opportunity to tell them a story. It's not the story of a land we once lived in. It's a story of how God brought us out of slavery, out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, wandered in the wilderness, brought us through the Jordan waters, and brought us to this place. This is our story. This is your story. God is at work at our past. God is at work in our present. God is at work in our future. These stones mean that those who chose to follow God's leadership were formed by God, discovered God's vision, and engaged where God was leading. These are not old stones. These are living stones for what God desires to do in you and through you. See, Israel memorialized these stones from the Jordan so that in the future people would remember what happens. Joshua's words are not just for this generation, but for the generations that will come after them. These stones tell a story. It's a shared story. You see, a healthy intergenerational faith community embraces their shared story. They embrace a shared story by nurturing and empowering and cultivating and encouraging each generation as an integral part of the faith community story. We are who we are because of the values we bring to our faith community. 
whether you're from the boomer generation or Generation Z or millennials or Generation X or the traditionalist. These stones are the people who have come before us. These stones are the people who are here now. These stones are the people who will be here in the future. All of these stones represent the values of individuals that contribute their best selves to their faith community so that we can collectively pull together a shared story. Now, can we live into that shared story? From our scripture this morning, we see the remarkable invitation for a more healthy intergenerational church. Through the 2020 vision, we are seeking to care for each generation while integrating them into a shared faith journey together. And as we continue to discern God's leadership on what a healthy intergenerational church looks like, may we enter into a collaborative partnership of openness and receptivity and creativity and spiritual formation. But above all, may we boldly step forward, not into exact certainty or precise outcomes, but into a bold faithfulness to God and to each other as a faith community.